I'm Captain Kirk. Fascinating. <laughs> I'm a doctor, not a mechanic. Thank you, thank you. Love you. Most illogical. I saw. Well, that was different. Yep, rousy, but different. Places, please. And here we go. Welcome, ladies, gentlemen, bears, Ventaxians, and things to episode 80 of the Muppet Trek Podcast. I'm Jarman. And I'm Steve. We're here to compare, contrast, and confer about our two favorite franchises. And Jarman, what are those? Those are, of course, The Muppets and Star Trek. And we do one-to-one reviews of The Muppet Show and Star Trek, the original series, because why not? <laughs> and this week, we have a special Muppet Show with guest Dudley Moore and the final Star Trek, the original series episode, Turnabout Intruder. Oh, the end of an era, man. Crazy. That's right. But first, Steve, please tell us about this guest star, Dudley Moore. What would we know him from? Well, it's our UK listeners, he's kind of a classic, uh, but he's an English comedian, an all-around performer, composer, wrote songs. You get to see him play piano here. Um, he was one of four minds behind this uh, satirical comedy group, or I guess performance called Beyond the Fringe. Oh, I didn't know that. In 1960 in, in the UK. And this was part of, this was sort of like the, the opening of the satire boom mm. in the 60s. Uh, he later moved on to film. He starred in the original Bedazzled. Yes, good movie. And then eventually Arthur, which he got an Oscar nom, and he actually won a Golden Globe for. Mm-hmm. But uh, what does our audience know him from? Well, he died in 2002, and his last IMDb credit was in 98. So you may know him from the Arthur movies. Um, for those of us who love scary and uh, startling childhood classics, he's the narrator for the U.S. release of Milo and Otis. Okay. He's that delightful British gentleman you hear about when all those poor puppies and kittens almost drowned. <laughs> Some of them did. And I remember watching Bedazzled and Arthur, his versions of it, back in like when I was a kid. It would be on TNT or on HBO sometimes. But they were, he was just he was cute and funny because he was short, and he's like, you know, just kind of like a little rapscallion, you know. <laughs> uh, but what's he doing on The Muppet Show this week? Well, backstage... Uh, Dudley introduces Mama, the music and mood management android. It's his own personal synthesizer of all music styles and accompaniments. The electric mayhem approaches Kermit outraged because Dudley sends them off stage in favor of Mama. And Rolf's already packing it in. They took her jabs. (laughs) Kermit visits Piggy in her dressing room. Piggy feels the romance as music swells as Mama is, is accompanying everything. But as they go to leave, danger music plays and Piggy begs Kermit not to go. The music grows and swells and Kermit reveals there's just Mama outside the door. <laughs> then Piggy gets catcalled as she struts and Mama plays like like sultry music. Uh, then we get a visit to Dudley's dressing room where uh, Dudley more like white guy scats really hard. <laughs> um, he performs a little tune called Strictly for the Birds. Floyd and Animal enter, and they want to talk about Mama. And as Dudley kind of gives his point of view about the importance of technology and progress, progress Animal gets right up in his face <laughs> and just breathes heavily and then attempts to kill him. On stage this week, uh, Kermit introduces Dudley more, but first some unknowns. On stage, we get some huge bug puppets who sing She Loves You by the Beatles. It's a weird departure, but it's really good. Uh, next, we get an at, an at the Dance, an old classic, but th- this time there's some sweet disco music fueling the dance, and we even get some some Fozzie telling jokes. Yeah. Uh, Dudley and the Electric Mayhem hit the stage, but he tells them to take five. 
and he uses Mama instead. He sings Mama Don't Allow, uh, a song about how Mama doesn't allow basically rock and roll instruments. And Animal is just outraged. I do love when he says Take 5. They start playing the song Take 5. Yeah, they, they start going anyway. <laughs> it's um, a song called Take 5. It's great. Uh, following that, we get pigs in space. They have an encounter with a strange object in space. It's Mama. The ship now has mutual musical cues. People uh, enter the bridge. Doctor gets like a crazy fanfare, but Link gets a wah wah. <laughs> uh, dramatic chords play as they recognize their fate, and Piggy struts to the sultry music we we hear uh, backstage. And the captain and Doctor Cat call her, and she chases them. Kermit introduces Gonzo the Great, who has requested complete silence as he's going to defuse a bomb but while reciting a poem by Percy Bysshe Shelley. It's a tough name. I tried. It's the husband of uh, Mary Shelley, who wrote uh, Frankenstein. Oh. Yep. Uh, it is going great until Mama comes out and adds dramatic music, which spooks Gonzo and causes everything to explode. <laughs> Kermit comes out and says he needs the band because Mama was terribly injured in the explosion. Uh, and can only do Japanese kabuki music. Um, Kermit introduces the wonderful Muppet band with, with Dudley Moore. They perform how high the moon as the roof collapses around them in the aftermath. Uh, it's just a jazzy tune on the piano and uh, Dudley really gets to show his chops. Things are exploding and falling down around them and everything. <laughs> They're wearing hard hats. <laughs> uh, Kermit comes on stage one last time. Thanks Dudley Moore who has fixed mama which plays different variations of the outro music as the end credits roll. And that is what we call the Muppet show. Mm -hmm. So Jarman, what did you think of this week's episode with Dudley Moore? Um, I thought that after watching the whole thing that Dudley Moore is definitely capable of being more funny than he was in this episode. Um, But he's just so darn likable and adorable. I don't know. He's just like, he just seems like a, just such a nice guy and really funny and talented. And um, I think I like that he played the straight man against the yeah. Muppets most of the time because like usually I, he's the goofball I really like that yeah um but yeah he was just I love his songs he's obviously a very good piano player he seemed to melt, meld well with the Muppets and I like that the mama thing was just inserted into every sketch <laughs> it's just yeah. like and pretty well like I love that it gave theme music to everything and changed the way people felt because music was always playing and um especially in swine trek that was funny um and yeah just the scene with them the theater collapsing around them is something we don't After see. After Gonza's explosion. That yeah, was like that's pretty crazy. They did that to the theater for this show, and it's just pretty cool. Um, yeah, I'm probably forgetting better ones, but this is one of my favorites of the season so far, I think. Um, so this may not end up as one of my favorites, but I am willing to admit that this may be a close to perfect Muppet Show episode. Oh, there you go. A really fitting guest mm-hmm. who got along, connected with the Muppets, performed well. We had great standalone numbers like He Loves You. Yep. Great classics like Pigs in Space. We even got to revisit to a classic with a new twist with Dance uh, uh, with At the Dance. And we got some classic Fozzie stand-up just thrown in there. Yeah, and a guest who was uh, well utilized. Yeah, A great Gonzo sketch. Almost perfectly, the whole thing was almost perfectly driven by the backstage plot. Mm-hmm. There have been times where the backstage plot has been more interesting or funnier than what's going on on stage. But this is one of the few times where like the backstage plot drove everything in a great way. Yeah, I think it definitely um, worked on all angles. And even the two dressing room scenes that are normally throwaway scenes, those dressing room scenes <laughs> were both fantastic. 
Even the opening with Scooter saying, uh, could you give me an A? And then A falls from the ceiling. <laughs> yeah. I thought that was funny. Um, so, well, as I said, this may not end up as my favorite because I don't have a connection to Dudley Moore. There are some hosts that I've got a softer spot for, mm-hmm. or I think do one aspect specifically well. But this, as I said, this may be like the perfect Muppet Show episode. Could be a contender down the line to be that one episode you show somebody of the. Right, end. right. Yeah. Like I, I'm thinking, it may not even end up at like my top three, bottom three, but this could be the one that I recommend because it's so well rounded and well right. done. Yeah, um, that's true. So, man, it's a great, great Bubba show episode. Top for we both don't of always, us. we don't always get that exactly. <laughs> Music this week, uh, she loves you. This is a Beatles hit, and this was one of five Beatles songs that in April of 1964 held the top five spots on the billboard chart chart. How was that possible? <laughs> in April of 64, the Beatles had all five spots. Oh, I think that loved, one song held five. No, spots. no, no. <laughs> they had all five spots of the top five. Oh my God. She loves you. Can't buy me love. Twist and shout. Please, please uh, me. And I want to hold your hand. Were spots one, two, three, four, and five. That's nuts. Uh, Mama don't allow. This one was really hard to nail down facts about. From what I could find, it was recorded by a group called the Memphis Jug Band oh. and featured a guitar player and singer called Tampa Red sometime in the early to mid 20s. Wow. Tampa Red was a blues guitarist. Uh, he had a big his biggest hit was in 1942 with Let Me Play With Your Poodle, <laughs> Is that a which hit number four on the Harlem Hit Parade, which was a predecessor to the Billboard R&B charts. Wow. The that is Harlem a, Hit Parade as a deep dive. <laughs> yeah, dude, it was tough. Uh, Strictly for the Birds, this is from an early 1960s television production of some sort, um, and it was actually written by Dudley Moore, and something he performed multiple times throughout his career. Oh, okay. Uh, How High the Moon, this is a jazz standard from the Broadway Review 2 for the show. Uh, this was actually one of Ella Fitzgerald's signature songs. Mm, I love her. Jarman, what did you think was the best Muppeteering moment this week? There wasn't, uh, it's funny because we've seen this such a good, well-rounded episode, but there wasn't like that one standout there weren't sketch. any big production numbers. Yeah, that had like a big huge. production, exactly. And so, like, I think the best thing, even though it didn't involve a lot of Muppet movements, but still was just a lot of coordination, was just the final uh, Dudley Moore number with the, the whole, like, theater things collapsing. And yeah, and this then, like, stopping and, and starting because the things were falling around. So that was just really well done, but it's not really Muppeteering, so I'm kind of cheating. I don't know. It's just it's hard to say. Uh, I'm going to give it to Frank Oz as Animal, breathing down Dudley Moore. <laughs> During his speech about technology. Now that's a good one. <laughs> was so good. And this is one of the perfect examples like of I really enjoyed Dudley Moore playing straight man. And he reacted so well as if he was really smelling bad breath coming on his face. And, or like and like getting a little bit frightened. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Don't let animal that close to anybody. <laughs> um and Frank Oz just commanded it. So I gotta give him credit. That's a that's a good one. It's a good pick. So Jarman, what happened this week? on the final episode of Star Trek, the original series. Oh man, you can make me cry. All right, so we have the final original series episode, Turnabout Intruder. So we have the Enterprise getting a distress call from the planet Camu 2, where they're having an archaeological expedition. And apparently some kind of radiation accident happened. They weren't really clear on that, but um, among the survivors are a Dr. Arthur Coleman and a Dr. Janice Lester, who Kirk used to be romantically involved with, but apparently he spurned her after she became bitter that she couldn't become a starship captain because apparently the Federation wouldn't allow women in that role. Yikes. Uh, <laughs> which we'll get, it'll get retconned later on in the show and, or in the canon. So we have to worry about that. 
Uh, Bone, Spock, and Dr. Coleman go off to help other survivors. And they leave Kirk alone with Lester. And she seems bedridden. She's she's kind of reminiscing with him about the memories, good and bad. So Kirk goes off to um, some alien machine that's in the room, some kind of artifact. But she gets up immediately. Suddenly she's fine. And she switches the machine on. And apparently it switches their consciousnesses. So she takes over his body. And now Kirk is in Lester's body. And It's he, a freaky Friday. It's a freaky everyone. Friday. And uh, now he, he passes out as soon as he enters her body. Um, and now that Lester's in Kirk's body, she takes him over to the bed. And she's about to strangle and kill him. But that's when everyone else returns. So she has to stop what she's doing. But Lester, now as Kirk, orders them all to the Enterprise along with the rest of the survivors. And she then tells Bones that um, only Dr. Coleman will take care of Lester from now on, to which Bones protests because he's more qualified. But this is how Lester will keep tabs on Kirk in her body now that he's in her body. Yeah, so she wants to keep tabs on him, and Coleman's in on it. So Lester and Coleman are then alone, and they talk about how they, they conspired to kill the other people in the expedition, and now she's finally fulfilled her lifelong goal of becoming a starship captain. And apparently she studied the Enterprise and its crew just for this moment. So she knows the ship. She knows the protocols and the people who are on the ship. And Spock is the first to become suspicious of Kirk because Kirk orders that Lester be dropped off on a nearby planet for treatment, even though that planet has terrible medical facilities compared to the nearest star base. And it would also take them off course of their current mission. So Bones becomes suspicious, too, and he orders Kirk to have a full medical and mental exam. Now, the real Kirk in Lester's body tries to find Spock and Bones for help when he wakes up, but Kirk, fi- but the fake Kirk kinds, finds him first and knocks her out and orders her to be put in isolation. <laughs> Just punches her in the face. chops her in the neck. That's right, chops her in the neck. The, the, the Kirk chop that makes no sense. She even knows Kirk's moves. Kirk foo. <laughs> Kirk foo. So Spock, uh, I put he rolls a charisma check and he gets by the guards <laughs> to go see her in isolation. And he questions her, and finally he does a mind meld with her to find out if it really is Kirk stuck in her body, and he finds out it's true. But he knows this won't hold up as evidence in court, so they must get more evidence to prove that it's true. So he then tries to free the real Kirk, uh, but is stopped by fake Kirk and accused of mutiny. So they put Spock on trial, and Spock tells everyone what he knows, but the fake Kirk says this is all just a ploy so that Spock can take command of the ship. And after Spock refuses to recant his testimony, Kirk flies into a rage. And this behavior shocks Bones and Scotty, so they go meet in the hallway, and they decide to vote in favor of freeing Spock. And if the Kirk doesn't like it, they'll mutiny. But apparently fake Kirk was recording their whole conversation outside, so now he knows Aha. they're guilty of mutiny, and he's going to sentence them to death. Yeah, um, dick and, move after dick move. I tell you what, back in the bridge, Chekhov and Sulu have heard of what happened at the trial, and everyone knows the death penalty is illegal in the Federation, so they're going to refuse to take any of Kirk's orders anymore, which this sends fake Kirk into another rage, which temporarily makes, suddenly makes um, them switch back temporarily to the, their bodies, so that really worries fake Kirk, um, so he goes to Dr. Coleman, worrying that the transference is reversing, and and Coleman says he'll have to kill the real Kirk in Lester's body to make the transfer permanent. So fake Kirk goes to inject Lester with the lethal toxin, but she fights him off. And in the heat of the moment, the transfer reverses and Kirk gets his body back. But once she realizes that she's failed, she has a mental hysterical breakdown. And Dr. Coleman is allowed to take her to sick bay to take care of her. And that's the end of the episode. We don't know what happens to her. They just kind of let him go off. So, Steve, well, I think, think we all know episode? she's not a starship captain. She is not because she's a woman. <laughs> oh my God. What do you think of this episode, Steve? 
Okay. So this, I finished the episode and I wrote the following sentence. Oh boy. (laughs) For a genre defining show whose ripples can be felt throughout all of science fiction. What a turd of an episode to go out on. (laughs) I tell you what, (laughs) I tell you what, um, there were some good things in this, what I feel like is overall bomb and just the worst way to go out. <laughs> um, there were some weird dialogue choices. I'm not sure if this is like or dislike, but it's just lazy writing where Kirk's like, what? I never said you couldn't go back to your space work. He literally <laughs> just called it space work. Space work. <laughs> um, the premise was at least interesting. We've seen people impersonate others, but for them to actually switch consciousnesses was interesting i wish i could say it was original but we've seen consciousness switched around before too yeah and things like spock's brain and those sort of things um i like them showing just how much power kirk actually has on the ship Mm. by her exploiting it true um i did like that you got to see a difference in the writing for the character in that like real kirk would try to maneuver whereas lester just escalates so someone really did think about that and Sandra Smith portraying Kirk trapped in Lester's body was great. She did a great Very job. Very strong performance, um, which I'll talk about later with one of my dislikes. Um, and Barbara Baldavin. So I guess this is a two part. Where the hell's Uhura? I'm sure maybe that's in the trivia. Yeah. But Barbara Baldavin did a great job at the comm station in her stead. Whoever the hell she was. Yeah. <laughs> right. Whoever the hell she was. She's like a, a casting assistant now or something. Um, <laughs> but whoever the hell she was, she did a good job filling in. And at least they replaced her with another woman and gave her a few lines. Um, things I struggled with. The greatness of Sandra Smith portraying Kirk was only destro- destroyed by uh, Shatner's portrayal of Lester. <laughs> Not all of this can be his fault. Right. Some of this has to be the writing, the way he was directed. But there were points where it bordered on ridiculous. And like the way he was walking was different too. Like he made choices. They weren't all good ones, but he made choices. <laughs> uh, it was written too harshly and performed too harshly. Uh, and, and the moment that comes to mind is immediately after the swap. When she first is in her body, she he's like almost a gremlin <laughs> or a troll of some sort. Yes, I finally got him. Like, I was like, <laughs> what the fuck just happened? <laughs> Um, and then his portrayal of Lester losing control and screaming and fitting around was just awful the way it escalated. Yeah. Cause the thing is they write her, she's a doctor. She's planned this out for years. Like she wouldn't just be flying off the handle at every, yeah. Like she would be flying off the handle at every single thing that pisses her off. Like she's a doctor. She's a a logical mind. She could have been a really scary villain actually, if she did, they did this right. Yeah. When they showed the premise set up. And then we went to like the, the, you know, to the first blackout. I turned, I looked over to Anna and I literally said, this is going to be sexist as hell. And I was right. (laughs) Yep. There's Um, a character later on in discovery who I won't reveal who. So Steve is get spoiled. Ooh, I'm excited. Um, who people think is a captain, but really isn't in a certain way. And they play it the way they should have done it in this episode where it's just like cold, calculated, logical. So you're not giving yourself away. And it's obviously a very smart person, and they could have done that in this, this as well. Um, season one of Discovery, folks, you'll know who I'm talking about. But okay, yeah, but uh, 
missed opportunity, I think, with Kirk's the, performance. And then my the other issue is just with the logic of the episode. This is another one that would be like too easily solved. Mm-hmm. Sure, maybe if she meticulously studied recordings and events and procedures, she she may be able to get by, but she wouldn't know nearly enough to not get caught and realize sooner. Yeah, they like, actually Kirk would have codes in his head that she just would not have. Yeah, and there's small questions they could ask the two of them to find out pretty much immediately who was who. Right, right. Like, has she watched enough recordings to know what Spock's beverage of choice is? Or when he I last had Pond knows. <laughs> right, right, right. And so it's one of those things where it's like this, like Spock wrestling with trying to figure out if it's Kirk felt so stupid. And then they had to resort to telepathy. I'm like, that is so dumb. I mean, that is one surefire way for Spock to know for certain that it's him. Yeah, but there were a million other surefire ways that did not involve telepathy. Right. Didn't have to involve telepathy. Yeah. Yeah. I think Um, the premise is okay. And it just was overshadowed by sexism. And it just really does stink. This is the final episode of the series. But we'll get in that in the trivia of why that is. What a turd. (laughs) So not your top three, huh? No. So here's some trivia for the episode. Because the original series was canceled instead of coming to a natural end, and the idea of a series finale was not as popular in the 1960s, Turnabout Intruder was closer to a normal episode and did not have the finale touches. The remastered version of the Turnabout Intruder, which I'm sure both Steve and I watched, Mm -hmm. it it ends with the Enterprise flying toward a colorful nebula to artistically signify the episode as being last of the TOS series, but it was kind of the best they could do without changing the premise. We can change four seconds at the end. What do we do? (laughs) And uh, Paramount Television canceled Star Trek during the production of this episode. So they were literally filming it, and they were told that it was canceled. Um, The network's abrupt decision to end the show, prompted by anemic ratings, came as a surprise to the production staff and the cast. Um, A 25th episode, I never knew this part of trivia, a 25th episode after this one was already in pre-production called The Joy Machine. Um, and there were plans for at least one more episode after that to round out season three. Yeah. Season one and two, I think both have 26 episodes. Yeah. So the yeah. joy machine was, uh, later on published as a Trek novel, which I want to read now in 1996, it was made into a novel, but I had no idea there was going to be more that season. Pretty cool. Yeah. Um, this episode is subtly referenced in star Trek, the next generation episode legacy. Uh, John Luke Picard mentions that they are bypassing an archeological survey on Camu two the same planet this episode begins on. Uh, this was mentioned because it was the 80th episode of Star Trek Next Generation. So basically they were like, this is when they officially were becoming longer than Star Trek uh, original series. So it's kind of a cool little callback that they do on their 80th episode. Um, and also during this, I want to watch part of this again because apparently William Shatner had a severe case of the flu during the filming of this episode. And at one point he has to lift Janice Lester in his arms and carry her to a couch and put her on it. And during the first take of this, he got as far as the couch and then he dropped her. <laughs> and fortunately, it was well padded and, and she bounced several times. She was OK. But according to um, someone who's visiting the set, Shatner looked down at her at that time and said, you know, I love you, baby, but you've got to lose about six inches off that ass. <laughs> Apparently, he said that. What a jackass. Sweet. She didn't need to lose any weight. That's stupid. So, Steve, what are the uh, Trek connection Muppet connections this time around? So I kind of got one big one because this one was tough. Uh, there was a show that was a radio show and eventually became a TV series. This is your life. Hmm. Uh, it was documents the life of like rich and famous and influential and basically kind of ambushes celebrities 
and then presents them with testimonials from people they know talking about them and their career. Interesting. This is your life. Um, <laughs> on this show was Dudley Moore. They also did one for William Shatner, mm. along with other Muppet Show guests, including Pete Ustinov and Bob Hope. Nice. All had This Is Your Life episodes. It's a good connection. Yeah. Best I could do. <laughs> Well, these well, are these basically the, the same episode, weren't they? Were right. The, the, the mirror copies. <laughs> Not mirror uh, universe. Both feature space adventures, mm-hmm. pigs in space, and the Enterprise crew. <laughs> That's quite the similarity. Uh, Gonzo is transported into the body of a bug alien thing, in a way, just as Kirk Kinda, is yeah. transported into the body of a woman. Uh, so on a similar note, both feature role swaps. Mama taking over for Dr. Teeth and Electric Mayhem and Dr. Lester switching with Kirk. Very nice. Uh, this is a quite a weird connection here. So I love it. The bug aliens in Muppets, they sing uh-huh. uh, She Loves You by the Beatles, which is basically Janice Lester's theme song, if you think about it. So right. the non-choral parts of this, real quick, you think you've lost your love. Well, I saw her yesterday. It's you she's thinking of, and she told me what to say. She said, you hurt her so she almost lost her mind, but now she knows you're not the hurting kind. That part doesn't quite fit. But you know it's up to you. I think it's only fair. Pride can hurt you, too. Apologize to her. <laughs> so basically, it's like her <laughs> singing this song to Kirk. It's like, you wow. hurt me back then. I almost lost my mind. She doesn't want an apology. She wants blood. <laughs> yeah, that's true. But I thought that was too weird of a connection there. That was strange. But what, what, what's that noise? <laughs> Transporter malfunction. Transporter malfunction. Oh, it's the part of the show where we transport one character from one episode to the other and vice versa. So what you got for us, Steve? I'm up to Trek this week. I'm going to bring over Mama to replace Dr. Lester. Suddenly, Kirk trapped in a robot body, only able to communicate with music. And uh, then a robot in his body, like walking around and trying to sing everything. He'd be like Bumblebee in Transformers. They can only trans- talk through music. <laughs> right, right. Perfect. Um, up to Star Trek. I have Miss Piggy to become Janice Lester. It's like a part made for her, especially in the hysterics. And she would just go, hi, get people and stuff. <laughs> it's perfect. Uh, Trek to Muppets. I'm bringing over Spock mm-hmm. to replace Dudley Moore, specifically in the scene in his dressing room, giving the speech about the importance of technology as animal breathes in his face. Because <laughs> seeing Spock play the straight man to that would just be great. The perfume of your breath is not pleasant. Um Star Trek to Muppets, I have Janice Lester coming over to take the place of Kermit. No, literally swapping bodies with him until the rest of the Muppets notice something is off with him. <laughs> so basically the same kind of thing, just happening in the Muppets. That's great. But now we move on to what we do at the end of each season of these shows. We're going to give our best episodes of season three, the worst episodes of season three, and then adjust, if necessary, our final best and worst list for all of Star Trek TOS. Very exciting. That's right. So do you want to start with best or worst of this season? Uh, let's do the best first. Why not? All right. So my first candidate for best is Let That Be Your Last Battlefield. Oh, nice. Bele was a great villain. Uh, he plays nice as long as he needs to to get what he wants. I liked in this one, norm, like throughout all of Star Trek, they try to get philosophical and they miss the mark. And this is one of the times they really hit it. It's like just obvious, but just still version. works. <laughs> right. What about you? Uh, well, I'm just going to go ahead and parrot it back to you. I'm just really happy you picked that because 
that is one of my choices for best up as well. Let your be your last oh, battlefield. Yeah. But mine was like I thought it was just biased because it's the first episode of Star Trek I've ever seen. Uh, I was a kid and I watched it with my mom and she explained the allegory to me because I was like a little kid. And I was just like, wow, that's so profound. And it was the first Star Trek I ever watched. Um, so it just it's got to be my top. But I was I'm glad you also liked it as well without having that bias. Um, all right. So my second one is uh, Requiem for Methuselah. OK. Uh, I like that you start right in the middle of the action with the disease already in full swing. We get uh, uh, some cool, the metal probe bot was a cool piece of tech and clearly just a bunch of pasta strainers, but it really, really worked. <laughs> and I and like this episode genuinely had a good mystery as to who this guy was. Mm-hmm. And the reveal that he was immortal was, was great. And I didn't see it coming. Yeah, that doesn't always um, happen. So that's good. <laughs> and then the guest actor that played in the role was also great. That one came close for me, too, because I've always loved the idea of immortals and stuff like that. And it's just kind of it was fast. It, it was well done. Yeah. Um, my next one is, is there no truth in beauty? Uh, this was the one where the woman who is the only person who can look at the Medusans because she has um, uh, psychic powers that allow her to do so. And therefore, they think, you know, Vulcans might have some ability to look at them as well. But it turns out the twist at the end that she's actually blind the whole time. And she has this dress that, you know, can give her a kind of like echolocation. Um, I thought it was a cool twist. I love the actress, um, Diana Maldar, who, who was actually in another episode that was one of my favorites uh, before on my best list was Return to Tomorrow. She played a different character in that episode. And then, of course, she later on goes to play Dr. Pulaski in The Next Generation. So we'll see her again down the line. <laughs> okay. Three different roles in Star Trek. But yeah, I just thought that was really well done. I think she's a great actress. I thought that was a really cool concept about the Medusans. And it was just it was it felt very different compared to a lot of other episodes we watched. I liked it. All right, and my final one is Wink of an Eye. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, the super speedster idea was a super cool and original concept, not like anything we'd seen before. Um, Spock revisiting the footage and figuring it out the mystery kind of with us, and that all the clues were there all along was a great touch that really pulled the episode together. And then the touch of Spock rapidly fixing the Enterprise at the end was like a fun MacGuffin oh, yeah. that really that actually really worked. And it was very sciencey episode, which we don't always yes. get. It was really cool. Yeah. And science-y. Investigation, sciencey heavy. Absolutely. You'll get kind of tired of that with TNG, but like in TOS, it's not always very sciencey, but it's no, sometimes like Spock breaks something with his hand. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I can't remember what episode that was, but he's like, Spock, disable it. And Spock walks over to the console and you smashes think he's going to push some buttons. And he just smashes <laughs> it with his hand. He's strong. What can I say? Uh, my last one is all our yesterdays when we watched very recently. Um, it was just where they go to the planet and the um, the librarian's last person periods. left. Yeah, and yeah. The, I thought the idea was a very kind of um, God, now I'm blank. Like Ray Bradbury, uh, some of the other authors uh, that did artificial intelligence stuff like that. But it's the idea of like this unique science idea. The Asimov. Asimov yeah. was what I was thinking of. Yes, thank you. Where you can put your people to save them. You can't leave your planet. Send them back to a time period that's safe, you know, in time. And I thought that was such a unique concept. And I think it was done very well. It was cool how we had uh, Kirk and separated to a different time period than Bones and and uh, Spock. And Bones was deathly ill. And how do they get out? It was just in a, in the whole witch trial thing going on. I thought it was just really entertaining. And it had a lot of sets and costumes. So compared to some of the garbage we got in season three, I thought it was pretty cool. All right. Speaking of garbage in season three, let's talk about the worst. <laughs> yes. 
What you got? Uh, my first up is Whom Gods Destroy, the prison episode. Prison uh, episode. The one where they, there's like a prison or like a, a hospital for the mentally insane. Oh, yes, 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 yes. And Key Luke, <laughs> the guy from Gremlins is in it. Um, <laughs> Garth, is that the guy? There was, there, yeah, Garth. There was far too much going on. He was a shapeshifter and he was insane, but he was also a genius that knew how to make super explosives. <laughs> it was too much. You get this idea of cellular metamorphosis that we never hear about again, and apparently any human can just learn. Yeah, this magic. <laughs> um, so, it, you know, Scotty and Bones have a really terrible time on the ship trying to figure it out, and it feels so bad when they're like, we can't shoot through the field without killing everybody. Well, there's one thing we could try. We could try shooting through the field. <laughs> um, like it just felt so unsatisfying of what the hell were they doing on the ship the whole time? Yeah, there were a lot of inconsistencies and like rushed writing, and it just didn't. And then this is another one of the situations where there's a final identity swap that occurs, where a Garth changes into Kirk, and there's like any number. This is another one. Just this episode, we just there's a number of questions that Spock could have asked that would have revealed who the real Kirk was, and instead they made it a fake moment. Very true. And you feel like after that time, they would have come up with a contingency plan for the episode we just watched. Right. <laughs> All right. So if I ever switch bodies or someone takes me over, I'm going to look at you and I'm going to say dick farts and you're going to know it's me. Oh, that's Steve. Because I'm going to say dick farts. And Unless like, you're no, evil like, doppelganger, like uh, also listen to this podcast, then they're going to know. That <laughs> that's goddamn it. Just <laughs> listening to the recordings. <laughs> That's right. Your personal um, logs. So who's God's destroy was bad for all those reasons. That makes total sense. I remember how much you hated that. Without it was such a bad that. episode. My first one is the Mark of Gideon. Um, because you get down with that. What yeah. wasn't interesting at first, like it seemed very Twilight Zony, where suddenly Kirk is alone on the Enterprise and he and but also we see the whole crew still there and in other scenes. So it's like, what's going on? So fascinating. But then it turned out it was just this pro-lifer MAGA Republicans who don't even want to use birth control. That's why their planet's so overpopulated. Right. People just wander around aimlessly. <laughs> and, that's, and why is that? Oh, because we don't allow birth control. <laughs> then it's like, yeah. well, how about we, and they don't offer the one obvious like solution. We'll take your people to other planets, like get them off of here. Um, it was just horribly done. It just, it fell flat completely and it's just really disappointing. And yeah, that was, that's my Mark Gideon. <laughs> Uh, next one for me and the children shall lead Oh yes. Um, where you have like really ill-defined effects of a planet where people are anxious, nervous, but sometimes it doesn't seem to matter. The powers bestowed upon the children were really ill-defined. And I didn't like that. It basically got implicate in a very scientific show. It basically got kind of explained away that the Gorgon was a space ghost. <laughs> space ghost. And in that way, in some places, the episode bridged away from science and towards paranormal. And I just didn't really appreciate that. Uh, yeah, my, I'll, I also have, and the children shall lead is one of mine. <laughs> yeah. And all I had to write was the kids are annoying and space Liberace is stupid. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. Well, I'm glad that that one made both. Our yeah, lists. there you go. <laughs> All right. So what's your last one? Was that your last one? No. Oh, well, you go I first. just went. You tagged on a sentence. Now you go. But I, OK, because that was also one of my uh, my last one is the Savage Curtain, which we also watched pretty recently. Yeah, that was a recent one. Yeah. Um, 
I guess it was a good premise where they could have brought in historical figures from each person's race or culture and had them be important and was really some kind of space god manipulating them. But it didn't work at all for me and it ended up being just hokey and stupid. The rock monster looked terrible. It's this rock monster who wants to learn the difference between good and evil, which doesn't make any sense. And that's why he brings people to his planet and Genghis Khan and all this crap. And it just I hate this. It, that it, one almost made my list too, but not quite. It was, it was a mess. I think it was just that, stupid. Lincoln went out like a punk ass. Yes, that too. And they lost me there. When <laughs> Abe Lincoln went out like a punk, I was like, I'm done. He's like six four. He fought in you know wars and such. He's he, like a wrestler and stuff. Yeah. And somehow he just goes out like a punk. So it just was a mess of an episode, and just like it tried to do a lot of things that did not succeed in any front. <laughs> uh so that's, that one was real close, but the one that eclipsed it for me was The Way to Eden with Space Hippies. Hey, brother. <laughs> uh, that was one of the better parts. Uh, Chekhov's connection <laughs> to the girl was really tenuous, and it was supposed to drive the plot, but it really just felt kind of random. Well, um, there's a reason why that episode and Spock's brain did not make the list for me, because they're just so cheesy. They're actually fun to me. Right. Like, I enjoy them for that reason. Um, but I think for me, it was what put it over the edge for me was the moral implication where the lesson at the end was basically that like hippies are terrible and are going to lead everyone to ruin. Like that was literally <laughs> the moral of the episode. Yeah, and I, I just so. I was so opposed to them taking that stance. I was like, I don't think I could do this, guys. <laughs> can't go with you in this ride. <laughs> I can't go on this one. <laughs> but it is one of the better musical episodes. You're not wrong. <laughs> hey, brother. <laughs> and that actor was in uh, so many things from the, after that. So it's really weird to see him in that role. Uh, okay. So that's our top three and bottom three for this season. Let's talk about top three and bottom three for the series up to now. Yes. And if anything is going into that, those final three spots. So my original best list, um, which Steve provided me, thank you, via text uh, mm-hmm. a couple of days ago, was uh, Return to Tomorrow, Squire of Gothos, and Corbomite Maneuver. That was season one and two, basically. So what was yours so far? Um, So, uh, so far for me, the best was uh, iMud, mm-hmm. Squire of Gothos. Hey, we both had that one. That's right. And Journey to Babel. Gotcha. Uh, I mud because mud is, I I mud and Squire are both for very much the same reasons and that they both were had really great strong guest stars high comedy value great sci-fi stuff mixed in uh, and then Journey to Babel I really loved because it gave you a, a clearer picture of what Starfleet was and what the politics were right it gave you just a much big uh, you got a glimpse of the bigger universe and I really liked that. Yeah, I had the Return to Tomorrow because it was the one where all the these ancient race. Uh, tries to find a permanent body for themselves, but they get tempted by staying in the human body. That was a great story. It was interesting. A lot of good acting. We got a lot of good acting as yeah. people got taken over by different spirits or whatever the and hell they were. And good guest stars and like having Spock being able to act differently. Also, had Diana Maldar as well. Um, well. Squire Gothos, I also have for the same kind of reasons. It's like basically the introduction of a Q type character. It was really fun and charismatic. And Corbomite Maneuver, I always love because it's it shows Kirk at his Kirkiest and he's being his his wiles and how he uses his guiles and, and to trick the enemy, not always having to fight. You know, it, it was interesting watching him do that. Um, so did anything change from your list, Steve? Um, yeah. So for me, uh, I mud keeps the spot. Mud is so good, and I have to give him at least one spot. 
<laughs> Squire of Gothos keeps its spot because not only was it a great guest, but there are some larger, you know, implications for Q mm-hmm. and that sort of thing. Journey to Babel, I am replacing with another episode that I think better exemplifies Star Trek in general and fulfills that same kind of itch of getting that slightly bigger glance. Right. And that is Let That Be Your Last Battlefield. <laughs> Takes the spot. Uh, I am also replacing Return to Tomorrow with Let That Be Your Last Battlefield. So I so s- still have Squire of our top of Gothos. Three, we agree on two of them. Yeah, Squire of Gothos and Let That Be Your Last Battlefield. And and what's your what's your third one then? Corbin Might Maneuver. And I've got iMud. All right. those are And then Corbin Might Maneuver is a good episode too. Yeah. There you go, man. That's where he, right. he pretends that they have the Corbomite uh, that's going to explode and destroy the whole galaxy if they don't leave him alone. He basically is poker facing the enemy. It was, it was a fun scene. Um, okay, so now let's talk about the ser- the the series worst. Series worst. So, what was your first initial list? Um, so, my initial list was uh, the Naked Time. <laughs> okay, I like tomorrow that. is yesterday, which I didn't dig. Right. And Cat's Paw. Oh, wow. Ours are completely different on this one. Uh, uh, the Naked Time, because uh, Spock's emotions scenes were really off uh, and felt weird. The disregard for procedure. This is the one where the guy, like, takes off his gloves and mask and itches his face. <laughs> and, like, contaminates everybody. Whoops. Um, and it was incredibly hard to figure out what the infection was doing. This is the one where, like, Sulu gets shirtless and oh, yeah. stuff. Uh, and it wasn't even when McCoy spelled it out at the end, it still didn't make sense. <laughs> um, cat's paw because Chekhov's hair was terrible. Um, the cat was not communicated well, like the human cat hybrid was not communicated well, not carried off well. Had some of the worst fight choreography of the entire show. And you did get to see the like cat puppet thing at the end, but it wasn't satisfying. <laughs> Well, he had real video of a cat for a lot of the episode. Um, yeah, it was really poor. That was the last what, one. What was uh, yeah. And then I said, naked time tomorrow was yesterday in cats. Ah, right, right. Yeah. Uh, what, what was tomorrow was yesterday? What was that one? Tomorrow's yesterday. God damn it. Where's my notes? <laughs> I didn't think you mentioned what that one was. I about. don't have notes for that one. Damn it, Steve. <laughs> I forgot to pull them. That's okay. I had to go back through like really old show notes and go and pull my dislikes from all those episodes. Uh, I had a menagerie one and two as counting as one episode as one of my worst, just because it was recapping the the pilot. And for us, I know it's not fair to do that for back then, but for us, we've seen the pilot. We don't need to see it again. That's not the fault of the show, but just makes that episode kind of boring for me. Um, Then I had the changeling. Uh, which basically has some kind of probe that that we sent out from Earth long ago. Now it's destroying planets, kind of similar to what happens with you know the motion picture with V'ger. Uh I just think it was it was slow and it just was not that interesting. And then we had immunity syndrome, which I also had because it was so boring. Um, it was this this light thing being that was causing people to uh, go crazy or have a. I, that's another one too. I I didn't I just didn't want to look more into it because it was just so boring. It was just really uninteresting. And I'm keeping that there in the list, but I won't give away the rest yet. Uh, so, Steve, any changes uh, that you're making to your list? Um, oh, tomorrow is yesterday is the one with the uh, the fighter pilot, like that they pull out of time and the time travel is all extremely nebulous. Oh, yeah. And his motives yeah, are yeah. even more extremely nebulous. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
so uh for me uh of the 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 bottom three uh cat's paw keeps its spot <laughs> the naked time keeps its spot but uh tomorrow is yesterday is getting replaced with whom gods destroy because i had so many various issues with that episode <laughs> that it eclipsed any any specific like time travel issues i had with tomorrow's yesterday that checks out uh i'm all, i'm keeping the menagerie one and two and immunity syndrome i'm mostly penalizing boredom because then i'm taking the changeling off because it actually has an interesting idea i just think the episode itself mm-hmm. was very boring it just has obviously they use that idea later on for v'ger and it was fascinating so um i'm replacing that with the mark of gideon because it just made me so angry at these dumb people just didn't do birth control and they wouldn't just give <laughs> so dumb. Give the solution of taking the people off the damn planet to somewhere else. So it made me so angry that it made my worst list of the whole damn series. Um, uh. And with that, folks, we wrap up Star Trek, the original series. And our final verdict is the three best episodes for me. I mud Squire of Gothos and Journey to Babel. And for, for drama, me, it's whatever. Uh, let that be your last battlefield, Squire of Gothos, and Corbonite, Corbomite maneuver. Awesome journey to Babel. I forgot I replaced it, but I put the note on the right. <laughs> let that be your last battlefield. Yes, that's right. Fuck journey to Babel. It's actually pretty good. Uh, <laughs> and the worst, uh, the naked time, whom gods destroy, and cat spa. And my me. worst, menagerie one and two, the mark of fucking Gideon, and immunity syndrome. And that's it. For Star Trek, the original series. And we have one last thing we wanted to do, which was the one episode we'd have someone watch if they've never seen Star Trek before. That's what you were saying that we've gone with here. Yeah. Like if you were trying to sell someone Star Trek, the original series flat, and they've never seen it. What is one episode that would grip them in, give them a taste of what they're in for and show all the positive aspects of the show that you want to show? Mm. Did you have one picked out? I do. All right. What you got? Uh, And it's good for me. It was easy. Because this hits all the chords. Um, and that is Let That Be Your Last Battlefield. Mine too. <laughs> yeah. That's if there so was great. one episode I had to recommend, it's got a clear parable. The villain is great. Um, you know, so many times in Star Trek, they miss the mark. And this is not one of those times. And I think it really gives an example of what Starfleet is, um, how they use diplomacy. Uh, the type of allegories and social messages that Star Trek gave at the time under the guise of sci-fi storytelling. So that was kind of like exactly what this episode does. It embodies all of that. So it's kind of perfect in that way. So, yeah, I get in that way. I'm glad that in the end we we ended on one unanimous note. Man, will that happen again? I have no idea. <laughs> Let that be your last battlefield. <laughs> That's tough. That's You and I have very different. T- you and I agree on a lot of stuff in Star Trek. You and I have very different tastes when it comes to the Muppet episodes. So I'm expecting us to have a much more diverse mm. set once we get to that point. That's true because you, side. it's like you grew up with that. I, I mean, I had more experience with Star Trek before this happened too, but I don't know. We're just kind of converging, which is nice. That's right. But uh, um, that brings us to the end of episode 80 of the Muppet Trek podcast. And we're going to be starting off our next episode doing still the Muppet show until that completes, but we're starting the Star Trek animated series going forward. That's right. There is plenty of runway on both sides of the aisle for us to switch to other Jim Henson productions, switch to other Star Trek productions, and keep this podcast going a real long time. And we can still call it Muppet Trek when we're not exactly talking about the Muppets anymore. It'll be Yeah, fine. true. <laughs> well, 
Join us next time for The Muppet Show with special guest Arlo Guthrie. And Star Trek, the animated series episode, Beyond the Farthest Star. So from the lovers, the dreamers, and us. Live long and prosper, everyone. Thanks for listening to The Muppet Trek Podcast. Be sure to follow us on social media on Facebook and Twitter. Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. This podcast has been brought to you by A Play on Nerds. Thank you.